Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Bible's now to Genesis 1, and you may want to put a finger in Ephesians 5, because we're going to come back there. And this is, this is all fitting in the scope of, uh, we're beginning this series on family, and I've been looking forward to this for quite a while, um, just because we are living in a culture that it really is seeking to redefine what, is, what, what, is, what, what does family look like? And how do we understand that? But this isn't, ultimately, um, this isn't a super new phenomenon, as we might think. And what I point to in that is, if we go back uh, generations, and really, you kind of see this at the beginning of the entertainment industry, you could point to these really uh, well-known TV shows that seek to kind of embellish upon what defines family. And it, it shifts with the culture and it shifts with the values and, and you kind of see this fluctuation. And so what you get is this present day reality where uh, you have an older generation that grew up in this way. And so they're going, I can't believe the fa- what the family unit is turning into today. And then you've got a younger generation that's seen something different and they're looking back. I can't believe the family unit was structured in this way back here. And what I'm coming to you today to initiate is ultimately... That that uh, any perception of what the family is supposed to be uh, from a cultural perspective is wrong. I don't care which generation you grew up in. I don't care what you personally think the values of a family are supposed to be. And you might go, whoa, where are you going with this? Well, what I'm saying is, if we aren't establishing the definition for a family from God's word and God's word alone, then we're wrong then we're moving in a direction that is contrary to what God has established. And ultimately, the more we move in a direction away from what God has established, the more we are going to encounter significant issues. Now, that does not mean that if we strive to define family from a biblical perspective, the rest of culture is going to somehow see this and go, yes, this is what family is supposed to be. And this would be exactly why in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you, testing everything, that you may discern what the will of who? What the will of God is. And that's, that's ultimately what my prayer is for us, is that we would be able to discern what the will of God is for the biblical family. Okay? And for the next couple of months, this is what we're going to focus on. What has God established as the the root and the focus of the biblical family unit? And how do we live that out day to day? Okay. But in order for us to understand that, we have to start by going back to Genesis 1. We have to start at Genesis 1 because the best place for us to discern what God has established the family unit to be And to do is to start when God created the family. Start at the beginning and work our way forward. Most of the time you hear a series on biblical family and instantly people jump to Ephesians 5 and 6. 
because it's the foremost passage on marriage and family. We're going to go there, but we're not going to go there until we first understand where God started, okay? And what we're going to see in the pattern of this is that God is in the business of unity. Everyone say unity. God is in the business of unity for his glory. He's in the business of unity for his glory. So look at Genesis 1 with me, specifically looking at verse 27 of Genesis 1, where it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Everyone say them. Everyone say them. He created them in his image. So right off the bat, the first thing we need to be able to establish here is that every human being, no matter where they're from, no matter how they've grown up, no matter what they're doing today, no matter where they live, no matter how this is all functioning, every human being is created in the image of God. They are the only created entity that is created in God's image. You read through the rest of the Genesis creation account, no other created being is created in the image of God. I know many of you love your dogs and your cats, but I'm sorry to say they are not created in the image of God. Only human beings are created in God's image. So right off the bat, we need to acknowledge that there is an intrinsically given value to every human being on earth simply because they're created in the image of God. Now, if we move forward a little bit into Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, and if you look at uh, verse 18, this is after God has already created Adam and he created, molded and shaped Adam from the, the earth and breathed life into him. And when this is done, in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good. Everyone say not. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, what's really interesting about this is we can make a couple of observations here uh, just in this in verse 18. The first observation we can make is that this is the very first time in all the creation account that God said something was not good. Up until this point, when God created something, he finished it and he said, it is good. And then he creates mankind and he looks and he goes, whoa, 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 this is not good. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Not good. But the second observation that we can often miss if we go through this is you read through the creation account, and throughout the whole creation account, there is a pattern that we see in the rest of it. The daytime has the sun, the nighttime has the moon, the waters have the fish, the sky, the birds, the ground has the animals, and then there is man. And God says, this is not good. So what does God do about this? Well, look, uh, jump ahead to verse 23. And this is after God puts uh, the man to sleep. He takes a rib from him and he molds and shapes 
the woman. And in verse 23, it says, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. Have you, have you ever sat on that for just a minute? God is in the business of unifying that which is different for His glory. And when you take two things that are completely different and you say, wow, there's a commonality here that they're made in the image of God, but so different in who God has designed and shaped and molded them to be. And yet... There is this institution where they come together and they become one flesh. He's in the business of unifying that which is different for his glory. Now, where do we see this pattern anywhere else? Well, if we jump to New Testament and we think about what, how God in Christ describes the church in Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In first Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul writes that There are many members, but how many bodies? One. Ever say one. And even though there are, there is one body, the one body is made up of many members. There's unity in difference. And if we get rid of the difference, we by nature get rid of something God has intended to do in order to reveal His glory. John 17, Jesus prayed something very profound in his priestly prayer. This is when he's in the garden before he's arrested. And he said, I do not ask for these only, speaking about his disciples who were there present, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a powerful truth rooted in this that the world may be may see that the world may believe that you have sent me. How is it that they may believe that he was sent from God, that his people, though they are different, are unified and one whole? He's in the business of unity for his glory, the family unit. Church has the opportunity to be one of the most visible representations of the gospel in the same way that Jesus prayed. I desire that they would be one as I and the father are one. Now, turn back with me to Ephesians chapter five and Ephesians chapter five and six is where I want to. Now that we've established God's making oneness, um, As we continue this definition of the biblical family, we need to see how this relates specifically to the family unit. And in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, which we read a little bit ago, it gives us a common mission in every single one of our lives. 
And the cool thing about this common mission is it doesn't matter whether you're married or single. It doesn't matter if you have kids or no kids. It doesn't matter what phase of life you are at, however old or young you are. This is applicable to you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. How? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ultimately, in our differences, both physical differences and role differences, our primary task is oneness that is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in the good news that we have redemption only in Christ. This is where we have to start, church. This is where we have to begin. So practically speaking, in Ephesians 5, establish that as the core beginning. Don't separate what's to come from Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. This is all part of one whole, okay? If we separate this out, which is what we often do, we start looking at the individual roles for people in the family and separate it from the broader mission we've been given in Christ to be one for the sake of the gospel. So what do those roles look like? Let's look at this. In verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. How? As to the Lord. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children, obey your parents. How? In the Lord. Do you see a pattern here? I don't know about you, but I start to see a pattern The unfortunate nature of these texts of Scripture is all we do is we pull out one piece of this, or more specifically, we pull out one word of this, and we focus in on it, and we miss the whole. Ultimately, you cannot separate God's individual roles for the family unit from His broader mission to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. You cannot separate the two. And in fact, further than that, you are not responsible for looking at someone else's command and applying it to them for them. This is what we like to do. Okay, If you're in a marriage, you kind of understand this because it's way easier for me to look at what my spouse is doing and correct them than it is for me to look at myself and go, I need to work on this for because I'm I'm in the wrong. I am not in maturity. But that's not just rooted in marriage, is it? Well, not according to Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye? And uh, every time I think about this, I think about someone who can't see a thing trying to reach around with a pair of tweezers and pick uh, something you have stuck in your eye, right? And so you've got this person coming at you with these tweezers and their hands shaking. You, you, all right, you get the picture with me? Their hands shaking, they're coming towards you with those tweezers. You're going, no, 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 what are you doing? Don't do that. Why don't you start by getting the log out of your own eye and then maybe we can talk about this. The whole point of Jesus saying that was focus on what I have called you to. And let me worry about the other people. You focus on what I have commanded you to do and living in obedience to that, and I'll take care of the rest. Now, in all reality, 
these tend to get misconstrued and blown out of proportion. Primarily the first one, when it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And this culturally is just taken and tromped on and thrown away and we totally miss the whole point. Because submission here, ladies, is not that you become a doormat. It's not that you somehow just relinquish all control and you have to be walked all over. It's not that you have no say. It's not, it's not any of that. Ultimately, it is this responsibility to revere your husband and go, the Lord has given me a task that no one else is able to do in helping my husband on his journey to become more like Jesus. No one else can do this task. And it's identifying and looking at the various differences between men and women. And there are very evident differences, okay, between men and women and saying what is needed most in the midst of all of this. So for you ladies, it's instead for you to see that you have the greatest God-given potential to bring a wholeness to your husband. God looked at the man who was alone and he said, this is not good. That is, man is incapable, apart from women, to fully encompass what God has made in his image. Because it is not just mankind who is made in the image of God. It is men and women together. Together, men and women make up the church. Together, men and women make up a marriage that is rooted biblically in what God has established. And if we get rid of that togetherness, we therefore get rid of what God has established to be holy and unified and a beautiful picture of his church and the relationship he has with his church. And this ultimately comes back to this truth in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Families... Be imitators of God and walk in love as God, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. At the end of the day, this is the focal point. Once again, rooted in the gospel, my call as a family unit, our call as the church and in our homes and in our community is to imitate God and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Amen? Now, how do we do this? Practically, application-wise, how do we do this? That's what many of you are thinking. I know it. Because you're going, I see this. I'm wrestling with practically what does this really look like. And here's where it starts. I've already touched on this, but I'm going to touch on it again. Focus on what God has commanded you, not what he has commanded your family members. Focus on what God has commanded you. It never fails. I will get someone who comes up to me and they want to talk about this passage and they sit down and they go, oh, I'm just so frustrated because my spouse doesn't do X, Y, and Z. I'm just so frustrated because I'm in this relationship with someone and this is how they treat me, X, Y, and Z. And the first place I'm going to go is I'm going to come here and I'm going to go, wait, 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 where are you reading this in Scripture? What are, you, what are you really saying? Show me. So they'll come to a passage like this and they'll read something about what should be expected of this other person. And I go, whoa, 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 that's the wrong, you're reading the wrong passage of Scripture. What do you mean I'm reading the wrong passage of Scripture? Well, that's not what you are called to. 
That's what they're called to, right? Instead, we have to read what does the Bible say is my role because that's ultimately what I'm in control of. That's what we tell our kids all the time when they come to us and they're having a fight with their sibling and it's all about what the other one did, right? Have you experienced that? Those of you with young kids, you've experienced this, okay? It's, it's all them. It's their fault. I've done nothing wrong. And we approach marriage and family the same way. I don't know what their problem is because I am just an angel. I have done everything right. We know that's not true, but that's what we sound like. And instead, our call is to look at who Jesus is and then look at who we are and say, how can I become more and more like Jesus and what has God in Christ called me to? Now, I want to get more specific uh, about what does this really look like. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three words, each each of you. I'm going to give... uh, Wives, husbands, and children. I'm going to give you each three specific words. But what I'm going to give you, I, I want to make sure any time that I quote other sources that I bring you into where I'm grasping those from. And uh, I recently picked up this resource. And uh, if you really want to do a deep dive theologically into what does Scripture say about how God has created us as men and women and you want a broad overview on this, I would highly recommend um, this book by Kevin DeYoung. It is, it is a fantastic resource. It is riddled with scripture passages and roots fully into what does God's word really say about this. Um, and so what I'm going to give you here is take is, is bringing out what he has said application-wise because it was so good and so practical and so biblical and fitting to this text. But I say this understanding... This is biblical first. These are great resources as secondary. Okay, everyone say secondary. You do not replace your Bible with something like this. You always, every time, every day, always start here. Okay, extra resources are beneficial. They are helpful, but they are not scripture. Okay, so do not replace your daily reading in scripture with something else. That. I just want to provide that caveat to you. But you'll understand more what I mean here when I'm referencing this. How do I do this? How do I submit to my husband as to the Lord for wives? What does this look like? These three words, support, respect, and follow. What do I mean by that? God made you women to be a helper for your husband. Genesis 2.18 Do what you can to encourage him as a husband, father, and worker. Come alongside of him, not to control him or to be recognized for your service, but to help him. There's something to be said about a supporting role. The imagery I like to paint for people if I'm counseling with them is if the husband is seeking to lift a really, really, really heavy rock, He is not able to do that by himself. Therefore, he gave man a helper, the woman, so that together they can lift that which is impossible for him by himself to lift. Now, that changes the perspective, doesn't it? Because on one hand, 
the perspective that says, well, you just become kind of a doormat to your husband would say that you just sit idly by and have to watch as your husband does everything. No, false. This is to be a mutual. We're in this together. We're pursuing the mission of of Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, being imitators of God together. And we need each other to help become what God has called us in Christ to become. Respect. The reality is a man may get built up or torn down at work, but the words that can really make him or break him are the ones from his wife. Give your husband's unconditional respect, which is not the same as unconditionally enduring mistreatment. Not the same. If you are in a relationship where you are enduring mistreatment and you are being abused, you step out of that relationship and you strive to get healthy And if you're in that situation and you aren't sure what to do, come talk to me. Because we want to help navigate that with you. In no way will you ever hear me speak and say that the Bible requires that someone stay in an abusive situation. No way. But you strive to give your husband unconditional respect, just as your husband ought to show you unconditional love. It's to be mutual. Follow. Respond to his initiative. Don't second guess him all the time. You can certainly have an opinion and should not be afraid to voice it, but don't try to undermine his properly exercised authority, provided he's not sinning against you or leading you into sin. Follow him. Men, lead, sacrifice, and care. Lead. Guys, we should be the ones who most often say, let's do in our homes. We should be the ones most often to say, let's pray. We should be the ones who most often say, let's open our Bibles together this morning. We should be the ones who most often say, let's serve these people We should be the ones who most often say, let's go to church. Let's worship. Let's prioritize what needs to be prioritized instead of what we want to prioritize. That's on you, brothers in Christ. And if you are in your home and your wife is the one doing that more, you are not living in your role as a follower of Christ. You're not doing your job. Lead. Sacrifice for your wives. This is perhaps the most important thing for your marriage is that you understand the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for the church. Your leadership as a husband is a self-sacrificing leadership. And finally, husbands, care for your wives. Cherish her as your own body, as Ephesians 5:28 says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. There is, brothers, there is no such thing as a godly man who doesn't cherish his wife. It does not exist. That's exactly why in 1 Timothy, Paul in his qualifications for church leadership said that that man must manage his own household well, and be faithful to his wife. D.L. Moody said it this way, If I wanted to find out whether a man was a Christian, I wouldn't ask his minister, I would go ask his wife. 
If a man doesn't treat his wife right, I don't want to hear him talk about Christianity. So if you aren't treating your spouse right, that's where you begin. And maybe you need to begin by surrendering yourself to the Lord and then beginning to cherish your wife. Guys, don't let anybody else out-cheer your spouse. Out-cheer you in your spouse's life. You should be the one who is on the sidelines rooting them on more than anybody else in their scope of influence. And if you aren't intentionally seeking to cheer them on, you're not cherishing your spouse. Lastly, children, I just want to sum this up for you. Kids, this is for you, okay? All you kids. And I'm curious, those kids, all right, those of you who are listening, how many of you have heard your parents quote this verse that says, children, obey your parents in the Lord? Okay. (laughs) Good. That's good. I remember so vividly as a kid and uh, my mom, which I have the joy of having my parents here, is uh, I, I, I remember so well verse 3 of, of Ephesians 6, um, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. <laughs> and it was always said with that look like that you need to obey. Children, you have this responsibility to obey and love and honor your parents in the same way that Jesus gave his life for you. In the same way. And that could be hard sometimes. Okay, how many of you kids, there's times where you feel like, I don't really want to listen to mom and dad. You could be honest. Put your hands up. Your hands went up a lot slower. It's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Because I guarantee you, your parents would say there's a lot of times they really don't feel like listening to God. And we are in a struggle together, striving to live and walk in obedience and honor and love for our parents. That is their relationship with God. And for you as kids, that begins with your relationship with your parents. Strive to do that because of what Jesus has done for you. Church, at the end of the day, this is where we're at. Your challenge as a family unit is to become more like Jesus. It's to become focused on the gospel because you have the opportunity to be one of the most visible representations of what God can do when he makes that which is different one. The same thing that happens in the church happens is meant to happen in our marriages. That's where our eyes are to remain fixed. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come up. We're going to sing one last song to reinforce this point. The song, More Like Jesus. Uh, I'm going to have you stand with me and I'm going to pray. We're going to sing this and then we're going to go out. We're going to strive to live out the gospel message that we have been given in Christ. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the time that we can jump into this together. I pray that you would fix our eyes more fully on Jesus, that you would mold us and shape us to be more like him for your glory, honor, and praise. I pray this in Jesus' name.
everyone, thanks for taking the time to listen today. Every time we open God's Word together, our prayer is that the Spirit of God would convict, challenge, and cultivate the listener in a way that moves them from where they are towards where God wants them to be. And as part of this, we have staff and volunteers available to pray for and with you. We have multiple opportunities for further growth and care from birth all the way into adulthood. So if you're feeling pushed to dive deeper and you aren't sure where to begin, give us a call at 647-4278 or email us at office at cantonefree.com. If you're interested in more than just audio, you can find full video of this message and more along with additional resources at our website, cantonefc.com. Thanks again for listening. Know you are loved, and we pray God's blessing over you for 2021.